we are going to be in Ephesians chapter 3. Let's start there. Ephesians 3. We're getting back into the study of the end times. And uh, we stopped for a moment. It's hard to even uh, get back into the swing of things and remember exactly where I was. But I believe we were talking about prayer. Um, And we were talking about as a church, Wednesday night's a prayer meeting. It's the most important thing that happens uh, getting together here. We need to pray. Uh, Praying church moves the hand of God. God works through a praying church. We need that. But tonight, we want to talk about that church and what we really are, the design, the intent of it. God uses the church as a tool in his mighty hand, and he's accomplishing something that he planned before the world was founded. Before the creation of the world, God had a plan, and what he wanted us to do, we're going to learn about that tonight. So Ephesians chapter 3, and we'll begin reading there in verse 1, but if you want to see it, we're going to talk about that mystery, the revelation of the mystery in verse 3. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But basically, the main subject tonight is God's church is a missionary church. It's a missionary church. And we're on a mission. And we cannot forget that. There's a lot of churches that forget what our mission is. And uh, our mission is not philanthropy. That's you know, trying to improve the lives of people. That's somebody who works to improve the quality of life for people. That's a good thing. That's not our mission. That's sort of a, it's a benefit of what we do. Our mission is not even specifically world evangelism, although that's part of it. But that's not the eternal purpose of God. Our mission is not to win a popularity contest or to be the biggest, most successful church in town. That's not our mission. We cannot get our sights off of that. Our mission is not keeping souls out of hell. That's just a benefit of what we do. We deserve to go to hell. And it's, and it's to preach the word, but not even that. If we, but that's getting closer. If we say that our mission is to improve the lives of people or to win our community, you know, for the Christ, or change our community, you know, into a Christian community. If we say that, that's a man-centered purpose, then that's not good enough. That's falling fall sh- far short of what we're supposed to be. If we say that it's evangelism and souls, that's important, but again, that's man-centered. But what is our purpose truly? And I'll just tell you our purpose, just at the outset, as a missionary body, our purpose is to call out worshipers, from every nation, tribe, people, and tongue who will one day, who are being called out of this world and who will one day stand around God's throne and will give him the glory and the worship that he deserves. God seeks true worshipers because he is worthy. And so we're going with a message that, listen, God is a personal God who can be known. And he is making himself known through his word. And he is worthy to be worshipped. He seeks true worshippers. He is worthy to receive our worship, to receive our love, to receive our obedience, to receive our service. We are doing this for God's glory and God's glory alone. As a result of that, we're redeemed. We're saved from hell. As a result of that, our lives are improved immensely. As a result of that, the community is affected in a positive way in a temporary fashion because it's not lasting. 
God's not in this world to change this world. He's in this world to call a people out of this world. And, and it's what he's been doing from the very, very beginning. And God's church is on a mission to do what? He's on a mission, God's church is on a mission to call out true worshipers because God is worthy of that worship. That's the mission of the church. And that's what Paul describes here. And, and what, we, what we're doing is we're, as a church, we're forming a body. So let's look at Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1. For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles, if ye have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given me to you, word, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote afore in few words, whereby when ye read, ye may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. You see that? Verse 4, Paul says, I have knowledge in the mystery of Christ. Now, what is the mystery in this chapter? Does anybody know from the outset? What is the mystery that Paul has He said, it's been revealed to me, it's been made known unto me by revelation, and it's the mystery of Christ. And so he says, that is what I'm going about, and and I'm involved in this. And he says that this is the eternal purpose of God. If you'll, you know, if you notice, if you keep scanning and keep reading down through there, Yep, yep. That the Jews. Yep. And the Gentiles get to be fellow heirs with the Jews and brought together with the church. Yep. Into the. Do you see the body language in there? Can you see the body language? We're brought together into the same body. Uh. Look at verse 5, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, and is now revealed unto us by his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same, see it, body. Same body. Mm hmm. That is right. Yes, that's right. Yep, and, and what Brother uh, Clifford is referring to is verse 11, according to the eternal purpose, eternal purpose, which he purposed, God, purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. And he has done this before uh, he ever created the world. You notice that in verse 9, to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God, this, this mystery. And um, I'll just read Galatians 2, verse 2, along with that. And here Paul says, And I went up by revelation and communicated unto them the gospel which I preached among the Gentiles. So Paul said, What I received, I received it by revelation. So what you have in Ephesians chapter 3 is you have the mystery of the one body. Or in other words, the mystery of the body of Christ. Or in other words... The mystery of the church. The church which is his body, Paul says. So the mystery is the one body mystery. And uh, the body, Paul says, is the body of Christ. And so Paul said the body of Christ, 
And he says, the church, which is his body. So what you have here is you have a mystery of the church in Ephesians chapter 3. So we've got to talk about what a mystery is real quick. The church is the body of Christ. For example, when Paul was named Saul before, he was this, uh, this Hebrew of the Hebrews, this Pharisee of the Pharisees, this man who was uh, going about trying to stamp out this new uh, sect, they were calling it, the followers of the way, the followers of Jesus. He was this Jewish man on a mission to get rid of followers of Jesus. And his name was Saul at that time, right? And, and as he's on the road to Damascus and he's following uh, this, this pursuit to strange countries, he said, and going way away from Jerusalem. As he's on the road to Damascus, he's stopped by the Lord, right? And there's a bright light and he's knocked down to the ground. And then the Lord says to Saul, 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 why persecutest thou me? Why are you persecuting me? And it was there that Saul learned, first of all, Jesus is the Lord. He was the Son of God. And he learned about the body. That when he was persecuting Christians, Jesus said, you're persecuting my body. The body existed before Paul got saved. And long before his name was changed from Saul to Paul. Jesus said, why do you persecute me, the body of Christ? That is the church. And what is, like Brother Dave said, what's so special about this one body? Well, it's Jew and Gentile. And in the body, you know, there was that, that dividing wall. It, it was Herod's temple, they called it. The temple that was kind of rebuilt. And it was like the, the temple in Jerusalem 2.0. When Herod was in power, you know, the one that uh, Herod the Great... When he was in power, he, he improved the Jewish temple and he was making friends with the Jews. And he put up a dividing wall between the Gentile court and the Jewish court. So if you're going to the temple to worship, the Jews had to stay over in here in this court. And there was a division, this wall. And there was like a sign on it, I understand. Josephus tells us there's a sign to instruct the Gentiles, stay on your side. So Paul said this middle wall of partition that Jesus has broken that down and in the body of Christ... Jew and Gentile are one, and the Gentiles are made fellow heirs. Paul said this is a mystery. So what's a, what's a mystery in the Bible? It's unknown, yeah. Something that hasn't been revealed yet. Yeah, right from the passage. He says that, I think, in verse 5. It's now revealed. It was hidden God, right? Which, where was that verse where I said... We read about it being hid in God. And, uh, in verse 9, from the beginning of the world, before God ever created the world, this, this mystery was hid in God. And then Paul said, then it was revealed to me. So it's something that is hid. Somebody has called it a secret, like God's secret. <laughs> something hid in the Old Testament, in other words. That's the way we need to think about it because we're talking about dispensationalism, talking about how God deals differently with people in different ages. Something that was hid and then was revealed. And so that means that, first of all, you wouldn't know about it unless God revealed it to you. And then it was hid in the Old Testament, revealed in the New Testament. Yeah. After he was saved, backside of the desert, which I personally believe the Sinai region there, there but the... Same place where Moses was and stuff. Yeah. 
So that's what a mystery is. It's not like a mystery novel, you know, like who, like uh, Sherlock Holmes or something like that. You know, it's not that, but it's something that was previously hidden and now has been revealed. What is the mystery? It's the mystery. You could just simply say the mystery of the church, but really it's the mystery of the one body, to be more specific. And you know, uh, what that is, we've been studying that, and that's kind of the reason why decided to land here for tonight because it deals with the church and it deals with our end times study is that uh, here's the Old Testament before the cross in the Old Testament and then after the cross on the day of Pentecost something happens that no one expected and no one knew about because it was not revealed in the Old Testament it was not a prophecy waiting to be fulfilled. No one knew about it. It was hid in God. It was not revealed in the Old Testament. It was revealed in the New Testament. And it began at the day of Pentecost. And it is the church age. And the church age is like a parenthesis in God's program. No one knew about it. It was revealed to Paul. The church begins at the day of Pentecost. And it ends, the church age ends at the, at the rapture. So at the rapture, that's the conclusion of the church. Then you have that seven-year period of the tribulation. Now what Paul says here is that in chapter 3, he says that this mystery was given to me. And it did not start, the body of Christ did not start with Paul. There was other places where he said so and so and so and so, which were in Christ before me. So there were people in Christ before Paul. The body of Christ started at Pentecost. But Paul says, I write about it here, this mystery in verse 3. And there are some people who think that the body of Christ only started when Paul revealed it, when he wrote about it in his prison epistles. Well, verse 3 tells you that's not true. It tells you that I wrote, he says, I wrote about it afore. In few words, I'd been writing about it before I wrote Ephesians, Paul said. So this body is what he's revealing. And the church is a missionary body. It's a missionary body. That is, we're a church on a mission. And if you think about it like this, I think it helps me. If you check out 1 Corinthians 12. If you think about it, we are the hands and feet of Jesus. You know, we hear songs about that. And um, I've always liked songs about that, that we are the body, we are the hands, we are the feet, because we really are. Christ said, I'm going away now, you know, John 14, telling his disciples, I've got to go away. They didn't want him to, and he said, but if I go, and go and prepare a place for you, but I'll, I will send a helper, right? I'll send the Spirit, and the Spirit indwells us, the Spirit baptizes us into the body of Christ, which is what 1 Corinthians 12 Verse uh, 12 and 13 say, For as the body is one, and hath many members, and all the members of that one body being many, are one body, again the mystery of the one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, we have been all made to drink into one spirit. So the spirit's within us, we drink it in, so to speak, and then we are in the body of Christ. That's the moment that we get saved. And then if you just read that section, Paul starts talking about 
we're all the body, but all the body is not one member. There's many members and many functions. And our, our purpose is, is to do the work of the ministry. In verse 27, he finishes that section by saying, Now ye are the body of Christ, you, the church, and members in particular, but you're all different. And you all have different functions in the body. Some are the hands, some are the feet, some are the eyes and the mouth and so on. And so God set some in the church and he talks about the apostles and the prophets. And then he starts talking about the reason why he gave us church leaders and teachers is so that we could be equipped for the ministry. So that's a whole purpose. So Jesus said, I'm going away, but we are his body on earth to, to complete his work on this earth. He even said, you know, my father sent me into the world to seek and to save the lost. And then he said in another place, even as my father has sent, has sent me, even so send I you. So we're on the same mission he was on. And so as a church, as a body of believers, we are on a mission. And then there's some people who say that the, uh, the church in the New Testament is only local churches. They reject the idea of a universal body of Christ. Like all the people living on the earth right now that are saved are in the body, along with people who have already graduated to glory. If they were saved between the Pentecost and the rapture, we're all part of the same body. Some are in heaven, some are down here on earth. There's people who reject that because they say that's what Catholics teach. Well, that's not what Catholics teach. Uh, if, they, if they got it, they got it from here, you know. And so it's a biblical teaching, the universal church. So in other words, what is it? What time would it be in, in, in Israel right now? I don't know. Uh, China, it's, it's probably, it would be, if it was, well, when I was in Korea, when the Twin Towers were hit, that was in the morning, right? S- somewhere around 7, 8, 9 in the morning, something like that. Well, in Korea, I was over there, and it was like 2 or clock, 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning, and I turned on my little TV, and I was watching that happening live. So that means the believers that are here and saved at 9 o'clock in the morning, serving the Lord in the United States, and believers who are in North Korea in the underground church, two o'clock in the morning, they're all in the body of Christ, you know, and we're in the one body and we're there for a mission, for a purpose. There's people who say that that's not what the Bible is teaching. Just for the sake of, of that argument, that's, that's not true. I believe in a universal body because the Bible teaches it, but they'll say this. They'll say the word church in the King James Version is mentioned 77 times. The word churches is mentioned in the King James Version 37 times. So in total, 114 times church or churches is found in the Bible. You have the assembly mentioned a couple of times. Um, The assembly uh, mentioned in Hebrews and in James. And so those are all referring to churches. Over 100 times it's referring to the local church, just a local assembly like us. Uh, one group of body, all or one group of people congregating together in a body that is a local church. Over a hundred times, it's talking about the local church. But the other times, several times, I don't know how many exactly, but several times, it's talking about the universal church, the body of Christ. It is a biblical teaching. If someone disagrees with me on that, I wouldn't argue with them about it. I'd just say it's in the Word, and you study it and find out if it's so or not. You know. But what are we supposed to do? 
What are we supposed to do with with this truth? A lamb. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Yeah. And I don't, the body of Christ, I don't think is a, they say it's just like a figure of speech used for people gathered together. You're, you're the body of Christ. No, that would make like a whole bunch of bodies of Christ. That doesn't make sense. Yeah. Yep. So when you find the church in the context of when Paul's teaching, and it's only in Paul's revelation, when you find church in the context of Paul's teaching on the body, then you know he's talking about the body, the universal body. Yep. So that, that revelation was given to him. Now what does that say to us? Well, there are people, and there's a lot of them, and traditionally, in like say Orthodox churches, um, they will say that the church started in the Old Testament. With some of them will say with Adam, the church started back there. Abraham, you know, Isaac, Jacob, you know, they're all in the church. And so, when you read one of those old Bibles, um, you'll find in the Old Testament where, like, say in the Book of Isaiah or in Deuteronomy, when it's talking about the blessings that you receive by by obeying the Lord's will and obeying his law or you read like psalms and you read about the blessing portions it'll say the blessings of the church but in the passage it's saying you know these are the blessings of israel but when you find the passage where it says the curses you know if you don't obey my law you'll be cursed in the city cursed in the field cursed here and then there in those bibles up in the heading up at the top it'll say the curses of israel so what ends up happening is they gave all the curses to national israel saying God's all done with the Jews, they're just cursed, and all the blessings go to us. That's pretty convenient, isn't it? And it's just not true. It's not true. Because Paul said, you say, how do you know that? Paul said, it was hid, hid from the foundation of the world and was revealed to Paul after Pentecost. It was revealed to Paul. If it was hid, that means it was not predicted no prophecies in the Old Testament. Not predicted there, but then revealed. And you know what else that means? It means God's got other secrets. So I wonder what we're going to learn about in heaven. But we're going to learn about a lot of interesting stuff. So, uh, And a mystery, a mystery in the Bible is really something to think that we are in on it. But if you, uh, you, know, if you think about that, I like to think about it this way, that... Um, if, if we were a part of God's plan, like God had a secret within the Trinity, within the council of God's Trinity, he was planning to do this and accomplish this church, the body of Christ. And that when we get in Christ, we're a part of this. And that this is his eternal purpose, like it says in Ephesians 3. This is God's eternal purpose. If you think about that, you're, you're in a plan that was in the mind of God before he ever created the world. You're a part of it. And when you're in, you're, our purpose is to call out true worshipers because God is worthy of it. And that's, that's the, whole, the whole eternal purpose of God is that God himself would be glorified uh, by a multitude from every tribe, every nation, every tongue, all over the world. One day would be glorified and worshipped.
by these people. That's his eternal purpose. And you and I are involved every time, every time we are a witness to somebody, every time we tell them our testimony, every time we give them a Bible, every time we're used as a sign to point them to Christ and we're a part of them being one of the redeemed. When we're doing that, we're fulfilling our function as a church, right? And when we do that, we're a part of his eternal purpose, which I think is pretty amazing. You know, somebody says, well, I want to do something with my life that really matters. Well, there you go. I don't think you can do anything that matters more than that. And so, like, what a missionary church does is so simple, and I'll just close it with this and, uh, and just a little challenge. But what a missionary church does, if you, if you compare all the, the great commissions, the first thing that we're told is to go, you know, and go across the street, go across town, go across the oceans, go across the world, go, go. And then the next thing you need to do, Mark's gospel brings it out real clear, is preach the gospel. So we preach the gospel, and then those who believe are saved. And we know that there will be people whose hearts God has prepared. This is God's will. People will be saved. He wants true worshipers. When we preach the gospel, they're saved as a result of that. And then those who are saved, then we... We baptize believers, right? And then that's their public profession of their faith. When they're baptized, then they are uh, permitted into a local church membership. But when they believe the gospel, they were baptized into the body of Christ, spirit baptism. When they're water baptized, they follow the Lord with that first act of obedience. And then that makes them members of a local congregation. So those who are baptized are then assembled into a church and they're discipled. You disciple believers. You form them into a church. Into a local church. And then this local church goes. It preaches the gospel, baptizes believers, disciples believers, form them into another local church if necessary, or just continues to go to preach the gospel, to baptize believers, to disciple believers, to bring them into the church life to serve within the local congregation of believers. That's the strategy that Paul took. That is still God's plan for today, and there is nothing more. There's nothing more. That's it. Evangelize the sinners. Edify the saints. Exalt, exalt the Savior. That's what the church is supposed to do. That's it. Teach the Bible is right in there. And edify the saints. That's a big part of the church. To teach the Word of God. And um, the Holy Spirit works while the Word is being taught. That's it. There's nothing else that the church is supposed to do. We're not supposed to... Be, in, you know, be there to in, improve the community. That's not our job. Although that happens as a result. We're not there to, um, to change the government into a Christian government. Although sometimes that happens. But you see, it doesn't really last, does it? This is the only... If you think about it, there's only two things in the world that, e- that are eternal. Can you think of what they are? There's only two things in this world right now that are eternal that are worth you giving your life to. 
<laughs> yeah, they seem to be eternal. They're never ending. The Bible and souls. If you give your life to being involved with publishing the word, multiplying the word, teaching disciples, being a part of a church that is a Bible teaching church, distributing the Bible to people who have never had it, the Bible and then souls. If you give your life to reaching souls, and all of that happens within the context of the church. Now, can communities be changed by churches? Yes, for a time. But you go today, guys. Go to those seven churches in Revelation. Go visit those places. You can go. Go to where Laodicea was. Go to where Smyrna was. Go to those places. You tell me if that's a Christian community or not. You tell me if it's a godly place. You tell me if it's even a safe place. It's not. You know why? Because we're not in this world to change this world. We're in this world. God is calling out a people. That's what he's interested in. Calling out a people for his name. So what you have is you have people who are reached. People who are reached. And people who are unreached. Now we can be a church. We can be a church who's trying to win a popularity contest with people who are already reached. We could do that because you grew up in, a, in an area where you heard stories where your great-grandpa, when he grew up, when he was a little boy, or excuse me, your, in some cases your grandpa, in other cases your great-grandpa, when he grew up a little boy, everybody went to church. Everybody went to church. Christianity had won the culture. Today, Christianity lost the culture war. Get over it. It never was your job anyways to change the culture. This country hates Christianity. And it is becoming very clear. That's okay. This world has always hated God. Jesus said they hated me first. They're going to hate you. It's okay. It doesn't stop us from fulfilling our function and our mission. But you better believe it. This country hates Christianity. We could, we could say, okay, we're going to go after all those reach people. I mean, it used to be just part of culture. Everybody went to church on Sunday morning. And you know what? There's some of those people left over and some of those kids that are left over. That still, it's just their habit. Now, we could try to be the most popular church in town and reach the reached. Or we could do what a church is supposed to do. We could welcome all who want to come here. Yeah. Yeah, I think a lot of them do. And then a lot of them, when they come and they really taste some good Bible teaching and stuff, they're like, ooh, you know, I've never heard that before. And they start growing, they get excited about it. I mean, that's, that's good too. But let's, hey, let's go after the unreached. Amen. Ray told me a story about it. What, nobody ever knocked on your door? Nobody ever knocked on his door. Let's be the church that does that, you know? Um, yeah. So I, I don't know. I'm trying to encourage myself in it. I know when you do it, I know what they say. You do it and it just, it doesn't work or, you know, uh, people won't come to church even if you do knock on doors. But Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. So I believe if we do it, he'll bless it some and he'll bring people from other places. So that's my challenge to you tonight. Think about it. Wow. You are, you are part of the body. It was a mystery hidden God from before the creation of the world. And you have a wonderful purpose. So go. Tell your story. 
talk to people about God and about your faith and, and about Jesus and just say an encouraging word. Hey, people talk real bad about Christians, but you know what? Christian people are the finest people I've ever met, and I, I'm fi- I count it a privilege to live and serve with God's people. Wonderful people. There's some stinkers in there, but, but wonderful people. God's people are the best people in the world. Amen? I mean, they got the grace of God at work in their lives, and they're sweet people. So, hey, that's what I want to be involved in. Let's go ahead and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you help us as a church. Lord, um, stir us up to love and to good works. God, not to be in love with this world. You said all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. It's not of the Father, but of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. God, we want to do your will. We need, we need your spirit. We need you to empower us. Fill us with the spirit. Help us to walk in the spirit daily. Help us to be courageous witnesses for Christ. Lord, uh, not to be harsh, but to to have a good combination of grace and truth. And Lord, to be salt in this world and light. And just to expect that the world's not going to like us. But there's those people out there, Lord, that you prepared. Their hearts are prepared to believe. And they're just waiting for somebody to come to tell them, to invite them to church. Pray that you'd help us to do that, not to lose sight on that, Lord. Not to lose sight. Bless this church. Bless what we're trying to do. Bring to us the people that you want to have here. Lord, not just to keep uh, the offerings up. God, help us not to do it for that reason. Help us to do it because of the eternal purpose. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. All right. Thanks for letting me preach tonight a little bit.